Looking for a workout program? Lucky for you, I know exactly who you should go to. 18 Alpha Fitness. That's at 18 Alpha Fitness on Instagram or 18alphafitness.com. Kevin Edgerton, owner-operator, not only has he been through the selection courses as a Green Beret, he's also picked up a whole bunch of medical credentials. And then on top of that, he's been a coach within the Air Force Spec Warfare Pipeline. And I've seen the results, and the, uh, the results are good. Very successful. So Kevin is that perfect merger of experience, both as student and as cadre. And he brings that together with the science. And he's always learning as much as he can. Uh, we've had him on the podcast. He'll tell you all about it. Um, so the flexibility, the breathing, uh, the strength, the conditioning, and not only will Kevin tell you what to do, but if you follow Kevin, what you'll realize very, very quickly is that he still lives that lifestyle. He's got an old gray beard and uh, I'm still scared of him. So head on over to 18 Alpha Fitness, use your ones ready code, get your discount and, uh, let Kevin help you achieve your goals. All right, cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. We're happy to have you. We have a special guest on uh, for round two. I know we've been doing this a lot lately, but like when we find good guests, we want to continue to have them on because really an hour is not a long enough conversation. So we have Command Chief Eric Thompson from AETC or Air Education and Training Command Chief. We really appreciate you joining us again. They're really excited to be with you guys. Uh, what a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we know and we can appreciate your busy schedule and, and everything that you guys are are diving into. And, and this time we opted not to have General Webb in just because, not because he doesn't provide fantastic insight and stuff like that, but we kind of wanted to have um, more of a, an enlisted type uh, conversation with you. So definitely appreciate you joining us for that. And really, we're just going to dive right in because we want to be respectful of your time. But um, many senior leaders, at especially at your level, uh, operate with certain leadership principles that they, they kind of live and die by. And we wanted to get an insight into yours because you have a, a long career. I think we, we said 28 years in the Air Force, actively working at getting fired, just like the rest of us. So um, what are some of the leadership principles that you kind of live and die by uh, for yourself, but also that you look for in other people? Yeah, those are great. That's a great question. And you know, it's interesting. Those leadership principles, obviously, they morph and mature over the time, you know, as we were just kind of talking off camera, the way that you view yourself, the way that you view your your role in the Air Force changes as you proceed through the ranks. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, the couple of easy ones, and, you know, these are softballs that you're throwing, but I'll swing at them anyway. Um, you know, you got our core values right off the bat, right? And so if you can't lead and live by our core values in our Air Force, then that makes it really hard to, to square the corner on that one. And that doesn't just apply as an airman. Obviously, if you're in the, you know, if you're playing for the Yankees and you can't wear pinstripes and keep your jewelry on the inside of your shirt, then it becomes really hard to be a Yankee, right? I mean, you got to live by the Yankee values, the Yankee, uh, you know, whatever the, the that organization wants you to do. When we make a commitment to being an, air, uh, an airman, I think you have to make a commitment that you're going to live by the organization's values. And that that that's definitely a, a key thing for me. If you can't do that, then it's hard to be a leader in our Air Force. Um, Number two, uh, I think the second thing is, can you be a good follower, right? Um, none of us on the enlisted side are, are ultimately going to be leaders, right? We're always going to be followers at some point. It's in our oath, right? It's, it's a pretty important part of our oath that we, we swear to obey the orders of the president and the officers appointed above us. 
Um, if you can't commit to being a good follower, then you will never be able to be a leader in our Air Force. Um, and then I think, you know, the easy stuff, right? Um, being genuine, making sure you're, you're in it for other people, not just in it for yourself. Um, and then the willingness to do the, the hard right as opposed to the easy wrong. I think those are, those are probably a couple of the ones that I'd hit on. I'd throw that out there and see if you guys want to talk about any of those uh, more in depth. Well, Chief, I, I have a question. As, as you talk about uh, signing up for uh, and, and doing what the Air Force expects you to do and, and becoming a part of the community and then followership, especially on the enlisted side, uh, I think there's a tendency for people out there to think that uh, we're kind of just nugs and we, we sell our souls and we just do exactly what we're told. And there's no more, you know, there's no more Trent Segmiller inside of me because I'm a senior NCO now and to make it to where I have and I'm an enlisted guy. Like, how do you hold on to who you are? and still affect that mid-level management and still be part of the system um, and still be yourself. Yeah. Wow. So (laughs) no softball there. Like you're going to go right to the heart of the issue. Um, You know, it's a great question, right? So at at what point um, do you make the, what I heard you say is at what point do you make those decisions and then start prioritizing the organization's values over your values? Um, and the organization's required behavior over the behavior that you want to exhibit. Is that what I, what I heard you say? Kind of, it's just, you know, we get a lot of questions and it's just trying to make sure that people understand, you know, like I, I still think I'm me, but like Hollywood and all those other things, you know, it, it, if I get an order as an enlisted guy, I have no Trent Segmiller filter that that goes through before I just do what I'm blindly told to do. Um, and, and how do you, how do you like balance those things out so that you're still you, yeah. you can, you can embrace the values and, and, and be a good NCO, senior NCO. Here's the secret to success on this one. We're in a volunteer force, right? The beauty of what we do is that none of us are conscripts. And so we have the ability to make a choice about when we're not going to do this thing anymore, right? Because all of us have done this at least twice, right, at this point in our career. Um, and, and we have chosen to continue to do this as volunteers. Um now, I understand what you're saying with the Hollywood, you know, hey, you know, soldier, go take that hill or, you know, airman, go do go log on to that Wi-Fi signal. Um, we, we, we always have the, the responsibility and the duty to make sure that the orders we're being given are lawful, you know, ethical. Um, and, and we should not follow illegal, unlawful or unethical orders, obviously. But, you know, when you say it doesn't go through a Trent filter, it, I think it does. I think it absolutely goes through a Trent filter. You make a decision about whether you're going to be a part of the organization and do what the organization wants you to do. That's your initial filter. You make that, you make that, that decision when you get up in the morning and you put on your uniform and you go to work, right? And so the, the entry argument, the opening argument is that I'm going to follow the orders that I'm given unless they are unlawful, you know, illegal or unethical or immoral, you know. Um, and then you have to make a decision. And then the beauty of this is that we all come to a point in our lives where we choose whether our path continues on the Air Force Highway or if it's time for us to take an exit and get off the Air Force Highway. I love the fact that we have that ability. I talk to senior, senior enlisted leaders about that all the time. Hey, while you're on the team, I need you to be on the team. But if it's, if it's a point in your life where you can't be on the Air Force Highway anymore, let me help you find an exit. Let me help you exit the highway with honor, with dignity, gracefully. Uh, and let me thank you for your, for your service and the time that you spent in our Air Force and, and then get you prepped to go do something as an awesome civilian, whatever you're going to do. 
What I don't want is I, I don't want people on the team that aren't in the game. Right. Well, I think to me, it was a leadership question. I'm sorry. I came at this. I wasn't planning on asking that question. It's just something that popped into my head. I'm not trying to, to be no, crazy about this. A good question, right? Because it, it brings up that. And again, it's my perspective. And this might be a little bit uh, um, um, optimistic, whatever. But I believe that when I get up in the morning and I put my uniform on, I'm making a choice that I'm a part of this team today. Like that's my entry argument that I'm an airman that day. Right. Well, and I know in my career, and I'll stop on this in a minute, I've never had too many issues with that because I think I've been given a lot of latitude by my leadership, especially the really good leadership I've had through my career. And they tell me the end state and not necessarily how to get there. And I think that's something that, um, especially in our community and the community that you came from is is one of the great benefits of it. And the Air Force really is. We, we bring all of these talented people in and we tend to give our people a, a great deal of latitude to, to solve these problems and to, you know, help the team out. Yeah. Well, you know, buy-in is so important, right? Um, making sure that the team understands why they're doing what they're doing guarantees that they're going to be all in on the mission and they're going to give every bit of what they've got. Um, you know, I, I talk to folks all the time that, that, if you have the opportunity and bullets aren't flying to explain the why, you should do that every time. Like you should always take the time when you have it to explain the why. Because then when it when you know when the metaphorical or or actual bullets are flying, they won't question why. Because they know that they know that they trust you, right? They they trust in your leadership, they trust in your ability, and they know that you're gonna take care of them. No, and that that I mean that's to your point though, Chief, that's really what people want. People want freedom of movement. Unfortunately, Hollywood and the the kind of stereotype that people get is, you know, the veteran is broken, right? They they are mentally and physically broken and unrecoverable and they're, you know, victims. But at the same time, uh, like also we're not like, I think Trent said it, we're we're not robots either. Like, you know, yes, we follow orders. uh, We do what needs to be done, but we're not, we're not robots. And we, we are trained and we want our airmen to be in, airmen, soldiers, Marines, sailors, whatever guardians to, to look at a, at an order, at a situation um, and whatever it is and, and be able to determine the ethical values and ethical challenges that, that exist and be able to delineate like, Hey, maybe this could in fact be an unlawful order. You know, it's just being able to, identify that um you know and and sometimes there's orders that we we may not like but they're still lawful and you got to follow them yeah that's just the way it is yeah that 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 is absolutely a really important point to this right at no point did i say unpopular right (laughs) or hey i don't like that order right i mean at the end of the day uh they're they're not hey would you like to they're they're orders and so we have a responsibility that we're going to follow them unless we make a determination that they're, you know, now granted, I don't know that we're getting a lot of illegal, unethical or moral, or moral orders every day. Like in Hollywood, you see that, you know, it's, you know, because it makes for good content and, it, you know, and it makes for a great plot vehicle. But in, in reality, most leaders, most officers, uh, especially the senior ones uh, that I get the opportunity to be exposed to, they're never going to give an unlawful illegal or unethical order. Like they just don't do that. We don't have those kind of people uh, by and large in our service. Yep, definitely chief. And one of the things I um, just kind of shifting gears a little bit um, since I kind of 
prefaced it at the beginning with talking about enlisted development and be more focused towards enlistment. Let's talk about enlisted development. Now, uh, our demographic is kind of you're anywhere between 15 and 30 year olds. Uh, majority of them are, um, you know, candidates or want to come into the Air Force. Uh, and then we do have a handful of, you know, already existing airmen and guardians. And I just heard from a, from a Marine and a sailor this morning, actually. But, um, what are some of the, the kind of key development gates that, that folks need to hit? I mean, and I, and I'm speaking from a, from a Air Force special warfare perspective. A lot of our, our guys, they, guys and girls, they want to operate. That's all they want to do. I want to train. I want to deploy. I don't care about promotions. I don't care about awards, decorations, anything like that. I just want to do the mish. Um, but in the last, since I put on chief, which has been, uh, a year now, a little over a year, like I've noticed that people say that, but they really do kind of want to be promoted. One, because they want the, the additional pay, right? That's, that's a nice benefit. But two, it's when you start to see your peers then pass you, you, you kind of go, well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm falling behind. So, um, and this is a very broad question because I didn't want to constrain you, but what are some of the, the key kind of the developmental for enlisted things that people should hit along the way or kind of look for to kind of stand out, uh, to develop themselves, but also stand out in the crowd? Yeah. Well, so that was a really long way around to get to that question. Yeah, so, sorry. <laughs> in fairness, I'm going to go a really long way around to get to the answer, right? I think that's Works only right. Um, first off, I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people do take the position that, that, Hey, I, I just want to do, do the job right now. Like whatever the job is, it doesn't matter if your job is, you know, widget spinner, like you want to be the, you want to be in the job and in the moment. And, and that's great actually to quite frankly, what I, what I don't want is senior airmen going, well, what's my next career move so that I could be the chief master of the air force in 20, you know, 41. Like that's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is senior airmen going, how do I be a kick-ass, whatever it is that I am. Right. Um, and we we kind of learn that from day one. If you if you think it how we teach you in BMT, how we teach you in tech training, how we teach you during upgrade training, it's even in our rank structure. Technical sergeant, right, implies that you are a technical expert, that you are at the top of your field. That's when you're a seven level in your job. That's probably when you're in a trainer, trainer position or a senior trainer position. You might be in a stand or instructor type role at that point. You might be a, an instructor in your tech training uh, school uh, or in your training pipeline. And we value that. As an organization, we value that extreme tactical competence at the end of the spear, because that's actually a part of what makes our Air Force so special. Right? So I had the opportunity um, when I was a, a young airman to work with some the, the Russian Air Force a little bit with one of their helicopters. Um, and I, I was amazed to see the officers with tools fixing a helicopter and the airmen with brooms, right? Their equivalent of airmen with brooms. Um, and, you know, because that's how their military works, right? They're, they're enlisted or conscripts given very little training and, and assigned menial tasks. And the people that are trusted and valued in that organization are, and invested in are the officers. Um, that is 100% the opposite of what we believe in the United States Air Force. 
We empower our enlisted corps at a very early age. We give them great training. We give them top-notch tools. And then we send them out to do great stuff. And, and we're actually really good at playing our freshmen. We're actually really good at pushing our freshmen out to the pointy edge of the spear uh, and letting them go after the mission. I think that's really important. And it kind of goes to your question that, hey, it's okay to want to be really good at the tactical execution of the job where you should start to mature in your outlook or mature in your perspective is when you start getting to the point where you understand that the Air Force is not always always going to call you when it's time for the for the game to go. Right. You got to mature to the point where you realize that now it's your job to start preparing that next generation so that they can go get in the game. You know, I, I, I joke about the fact that I have a Pelican case full of deployment gear ready to go right now in the upstairs room. I have a pubs bag with all of my stuff to go fly. You can see that picture of that MC-130H above my shoulder, right? That was my primary air, aircraft that I flew in AFSOC. I have a pubs bag with my pubs in there ready to go right now. I am the last person that the Air Force is going to call if they need a flight engineer to go, to go pre-flight that airplane. Like that time, that part of my life is gone. Um, and at this point, my role, my contributory role to the Air Force is to try to help develop that next generation, to try to help lead and, and mentor that next generation. So I think, you know, you just look at it on a sliding scale that that's got to be the natural transition at some point. I, I don't, you know, as the United States Air Force, I don't want people to just be tactical experts for the rest of their careers. I need them to get into the role where they're creating the next generation of tactical experts uh, because our, our Air Force depends on that. When should they do that? I think that kind of depends. Um, it's different for every AFSC. It's different in, uh, you can have that in different, you know, within the same AFSC, within different type of tribes, uh, so to speak. So it's possible that, um, you know, if you're in the mobility tribe, then that is a little bit different than if you're in the calf tribe. Um, the reality is it, it, should, it should really kind of follow the model of the foundational competencies, if you want to use that, that lens. Uh, and for your listeners that are not familiar with those, I won't go through the entire list of 24 because I would bore you to death. I will tell you, we kind of bend those foundational competencies into four major bits, right? So the first one is probably the one that is most important uh, and that your listeners should never even know that we're doing. It's the developing yourself, right? You should be, we should be teaching you that at first and foremost, uh, during kind of your first tour in the Air Force is developing self. Uh, and you should probably not even realize that you're that we're doing that. That should just be transparent to you. Uh, you know, if, if you're watching the Karate Kid, this is Daniel waxing the car and sanding the deck and painting the fence. These are developing self competencies. Uh, they're really important for you to build on in the future, uh, but we can't do anything else until we've done that. Then, you know, kind of once you get into that NCO tier, there's going to be some, some Air Force needs that are going to require you to be developed with some developing others type skills, right? That's that second bin of foundational competencies. Once I've taught you how to, how to know yourself and develop yourself, now I need to spend some time on, on teaching you how to develop others. How do you impart the same skills that you have? How do you impart the same knowledge that you have? Uh, how do you start building that next generation of, of, of airmen and warriors that are going to come behind you? Um, go a little farther down the road and you're in that senior NCO type role. So you're moving into that, that maybe squadron or group leadership type position. 
now I need to get you up to speed on developing the unit, right? And de developing ideas, because now you're not only going to be responsible for you and maybe one or three other people, or maybe five, depending on your unit. Now you're going to be responsible for how the unit functions and how the unit runs, right? You're going to be responsible for fostering innovation and ideas in the unit and the group, because if we wanted to go fight Desert Storm or the, the global war on terror, we're good. We've got the Air Force for that. We created that Air Force 20 years ago, and it's, it's the Air Force we have right now. But we're Is that an option? Can we go back, Chief? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, but we're probably not going to fight that fight, right, in five years. We're probably going to fight a different fight. So we, we need to make sure that we're adapting the Air Force for that fight. Um, so I think the long way around the answer is that at different parts in your career, we should be infusing development into you. Uh, your job is to be receptive to that development and, and trust that there's a reason we're doing it. I know that we want to stay and do the tactical stuff for a long time. You know why? Because it's a hell of a lot of fun. Like doing the job is a hell of a lot of fun. Um, it beats sitting in budget meetings, right? And, and, and things like that. But at some point, you have to do those things too. You, in order to be well-rounded, you have to do all the things. Yeah, and I, I can't... I can't think of every time that I've, I've seen a, a really technical, technically proficient tech sergeant get sat down and have that conversation with his leadership, like, uh, bro, it's time to, it's time to move on, you know, and it's, it's hard, but like as a, as a peer leader and all these other things and, and with their expertise, they can only affect so much change within the unit. And I think most of them understand that and they end up moving up into the senior NCO ranks, but it can be a difficult transition going from, you know, the doer to the, you're not really the tasker, but the manager. Right. Um, so, I mean, at least for me, and, and, and I think as a talent management, you know, person, as a senior NCO, that's, that's our duty is to identify those people, uh, move them up and, and move people around to give them, help them develop themselves and develop the unit based on their talents and expertise. Right. I totally agree. And, and the only other thing I had, Chief, on that was, you know, we, we should be developing this, this new generation, but, the, you know, they're all just so lazy and soft and different than us. And when we joined, it was hard. They're buried in their phones. They don't have any social skills. Yeah. All the same. I know you have too, right? Well, Chief, as, as the AATC command chief, like, what are we doing about that to get these, these kids to understand how to do things our way? So, I, I, I well, <laughs> the, the, the answer is in the question, number one. Um, I wish I could go back to 1990 when I was an airman um, and, and hear what the senior NCOs had to say about my generation of airmen at the time. Um, I can tell you what the NCOs said about your generation when you were airmen, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I certainly hear about the generation of airmen that are out there right now. They are absolutely different than you were. They are different than I am. They were different than our airmen five years ago, right? Let, 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 let's put it this way. This summer, you know, I'm not going to generally, right, because I, I reserve the right to make up statistics. Um, about 20 to 25 percent of our Air Force is going to have come be, been serving post-COVID. 25 oh, yeah. of our Air Force is going to have been serving post-COVID. Right. 25? 25? I mean, I know, I know we're kind of throwing out a, st a statistic, but 25? 25. So I put about 35,000 35, airmen through BMT every year, right? Uh, so that's 70,000 airmen uh, over the last two years, two and a half years or so in COVID 
plus officer accessions to the tune of about 4,000, 5,000 a year, right? So if you do the total numbers, 80,000 personnel over the last two years or since COVID has started have joined our Air Force and gone through ATC. That's a totally different generation than just before then. Their life experience, their outlook, their perspectives, the way they communicate, what they are used to on a day in and day out basis is what the duty section looks like. Totally different than what our airmen that came in three years ago, right? I would argue that somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 something percent of our Air Force into the Air Force post 9-11. Yeah, okay, I can see that, Chief. That served pre-9-11 in our Air Force is probably single digit percentage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so I, I say that because you know it's it's not just the airmen of today, it's the airmen of two years ago are different than the airmen of today. Right. And so how do we get after all of that? So the first thing that we have to do is we have to remember that we're not going to make them come to our way. Like that's not reality. And and when I say that, because whose way, right? My way? My way is AOL dial-up, right? Um, my way, my way is is understanding how to use a computer, but not growing up with a computer in my hand and being connected uh, 24 hours a day to everything across the entire world. Um, so that's not my way. Your way is probably a little bit better because you guys were a lot younger when the when the technology revolution really kicked off. Um, so you're probably a lot better with technology, but I guarantee uh, that the airmen that are coming in right now are way more better, way more innate with technology than either of you are, right? You give them a phone uh, and they can probably find out anything they need to know within about 30 seconds to, to a minute. Their attention span is shorter, maybe, or, or we perceive their attention span to be shorter because they're more used to having instant access to information and so when they don't have that, they lose interest faster or they get frustrated faster. So it's, it's not that they don't care about it. It's that they're used to a certain standard of service when it comes to accessing information and, and being able to get what they want. And when they don't, they go, yeah, your system is done. And so then we take these young men and women who are used to that level of technology and we put them on our awesome nipper network. Um, <laughs> and, and then we're surprised, right? We're amazed. Um, sit and you know listen to a, a sage on a stage behind a podium give a boring lecture with 35 powerpoint slides where they read every single word on every single bullet so i think you know I, I say all that to say that we are working very hard in atc on transforming training uh to make sure that we're kind of getting after that right so that we talked about this a little bit in the last podcast how do we create content in multiple modalities so that we can provide it uh, to the learner in the way that they prefer to, to learn. So maybe it's videos, maybe it's podcasts, maybe it's written out, maybe it's PDFs, maybe it's interactive, maybe it's a choose your own adventure book. I don't care. At the end of the day, the, the modality needs to be less important than, than having the content available in a way that they choose to or, or best receive it, right? That's number one. Number two, we need to unlock that content. So if you go back to when we were all in probably initial skills training, you couldn't learn the stuff that was in block three until you were done with blocks one and two, right? You had to take a block two test before we would give you the block three book and let you start learning block three stuff. For some airmen, that's probably fine because they need that measured delivery of content. But what about the airmen that like they got it coming in, 
They were ready to go coming in. And they they are they're they're dying to have that information because it it they want to do that. They want to sit in bed on Saturday morning with a you know Starbucks coffee and read ahead three to four chapters from where the rest of the classes are right now because they're processing faster. But we don't do that in all of our courses right now. So we need to unlock that content to the learner and make sure they've got it. Um, we need to continue to bring our learning systems uh, online. So we're working on, so like my learning is, is the platform of record right now. It's coming along really well. Um, it's got 700,000 people on it, which is not a number that's matter, you know, should matter to you guys, other than the fact that it is the way that we're delivering learning content right now. All your CDCs should be on it, moving all the tech training to it. And it's better, right? It's not your old, uh, it's not your old ADLS type platform for those of you vets that are on here that remember to, <laughs> try to get you to download the, the illegal music. Um, and, and we're working on making sure that we can host VR, AR, and, and augmented reality or, or mixed reality content on there. So again, if there's a YouTube style video on a, a topic that you want to learn about, that should be available to you. There's no reason why that shouldn't be. Uh, and then making sure we can do that in a way that keeps the rest of our network safe becomes important. Um, and then, you know, the really important part is for us as the as the crusty old guys in the room to remember that even though their perspective on things is different, it's not better or worse. It's just different. Um, and that gang is going to be fighting this fight long after we're gone. You know, we're all going to be sitting on the front porch of the nursing home, throwing rocks at the young airmen, telling them to get off the grass. They're going to be the ones doing the job. And so if if we don't invest in them, uh, then it's really kind of our fault if, if they suck. No, it's it. I'm chief. Great, great stuff. I'm still like amazed that 25 percent of this COVID. But, you know, that makes sense, though, because not every work center or not every AFSC has been impacted as much um, by COVID. You know, like I can't I can't go remote shooting. Right. I can't go do remote, um, just whatever, shoot, move and communicate. You know, some of it I can in simulators and stuff like that. Like uh, we just showed Chief Bass our medical our virtual reality medical simulator, which is amazing. I mean, you throw on an Oculus 2, you do some very um, immersive medical simulators, you know, post-accident. I'm not talking about in a in a shirt surgical studio. I'm talking like, hey, there's accident. There's people screaming. The the patient is talking to you. There's blood squirting out. I mean, we put uh, Chief Bass's uh, aide on there, you know, and she's an IDMT or something like that. And even she was like, oh, wow, this is this is very overwhelming um, kind of thing. And, you know, that's that's some of the things that we're that we are doing already at the operational unit. And I know that you guys are doing it there, but it's it's I, I like hearing you say that we don't need to bring them to where we're at. We need to adapt our leadership styles, our methods to the way that they are learning. And I can only imagine how they're learning, and especially as we dip our toes into the Web 3.0. Uh, I mean, this is it's going to be a struggle for dinosaurs like us, but this new generation, I mean, I love, I love how we're not us necessarily, but everybody kind of hates on the Gen Z and stuff like that, but they are so smart. They are so smart. And they're connected. Like they understand um, multicultural uh, and, and international way better than we did because they've already in some ways visited other countries. They're friends with people in other countries 
They read content about our culture from other countries' perspective way more than we did growing up. Like we just didn't do that. We we were we were we didn't have the access to do that. And you're right. Why would we drag them back 20 years in time to teach them the way that we learned? Just because it's the way that we learned back then doesn't mean it's the best way to learn. It did work, right? In the same way that I can get a bolt to go through a nut if you give me a big enough hammer, but that's not the most efficient way to do it. Yep, exactly right. So, as we're kind of talking about this this new generation, and you know, we we kind of focus on Air Force Special Warfare, but you know, we are transiting from you know coin or contingent or uh, not contingency counterinsurgents, and then we're going into integrated deterrence now. And AETC, or Air Education Training Command, sets the foundation for special warfare. So I guess two, two kind of prong question. One is, are we heading in the right direction? And the second part is, what direction is that? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to answer the second one first, uh, because I think it, it's... Um, it, it's going to be determined by Air Combat Command as the lead command for PR, right? Because that's one that's one important part of it. Um, Air Combat Command also the lead command for the JTAC role, so they drive that direction, that requirement as well. Uh, and then Air Force Special Operations Command uh, driving the SW portion of it or the Special Warfare portion of it, uh, obviously on behalf of SOCOM as the Air Force component to, to United States Special Operations Command. Um, we talk to those AETC, Air, Air Education and Training Command, we talk to those MAGCOMs all the time about this um, and, and make sure that we understand what their future requirement is. What is the future state of PR, right? What skills do you need us to be teaching, excuse me, in the PJ school? What is the future state of TACPs and JTACs, right? And what do we need to be prepping our folks for? You know, so there's there's been a lot of um, I wouldn't say consternation. There's there's a lot of ambiguity about what that future role looks like, right? How long how long does a, a conventional soft unit last on the ground in a high end fight against China? Um, what does a special warfare unit look like left of bang uh, in the in the Eastern European theater right now? Um, what is the spectrum of of competencies that are required for us to teach at the basic school? Because remember, that's what we do. We do the basic school. Right. We, we create the basic special warfare airmen um, and then provide it to the unit for seasoning, maturing, sharpening the edge uh, using whatever analogy you want to use. So I, I say all that to say that, you know, Air Combat Command and Air Force Special Operations Command will continue to drive the requirement for what the future of Air Force Special Warfare looks like. We will then continue to drive the best training possible uh, through selection and assessment, initial skills training, advanced skills training, everything else to get after their requirements. Um, I think uh, that's the first part of the question. The, the second part is, I, I think there are still a lot of basic skills that we have come to uh, value in Air Force Special Warfare. Um, and, and I don't really, I'm not even really talking about the phys physical skills. I mean, the physical skills are important, obviously. You have to have um, the strength, the ability. Uh, we have to train you to train yourself correctly. Um, I'm talking more about the mental skills, right? How do we train grit? How do we identify and train grit, determination, um, ability to overcome adversity, ability to work as a team, um, ability to take charge when you need to take charge and not take charge when you don't need to take charge, right? Um, 
those are the skills that we will have to continue to refine as we go forward and the environment shapes what that training looks like. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry, Trent, go for it. No, I'm, I'm just, I, I know Chief, I, for, for me, it's, it's been a little overwhelming making the turn, right? Because coming out of, out of most of my experiences in Afghanistan, the, the threat assessments that we made were almost all like kinetic, small arms, ground-based. And as we move towards this new thing and our, uh, as I start to do like threat assessments in my head of what we have to worry about, what we have to protect ourselves against, and not only that, but then like change the way that we would um, aggressively or, or uh, offensively act towards them to get these missions accomplished. I think it's, it's just, it's, it's a little bit difficult for me sometimes to, to look at the problem set and, and not only not get overwhelmed, but then when I start to come up with solutions, to me, like there's so many pieces of it and AFSCs, if you will, that need to come together to work together, which maybe we haven't been doing in the past 20 years as much as we should have to really holistically get after these problem sets. I don't know if you want to get after that, but like, I know for me where I sit, that's one of the things I'm trying to do is, is bring so many people together because, you know, my, my career field is not going to be the, the, the sole, um, you know, solution to most of these problems. Right. It, so I think you're, you're absolutely spot on, right? So we spent the last 20, 20 years, um, especially within the, the community that you guys are in right now, the community that I grew up in in Air Force Special Operations, kind of hyper-focused on a very tactical situation in one specific part of the world, right? Um, how efficiently can we kill a bad guy at a Rodex with an AK-47 um, and, and, and then get everybody home? That has really kind of been where we, that's oversimplified, but that's really where we've been focused. Um, how do we translate that into integrated deterrence which is some terms that you'll start to hear as the new national security strategy, national defense strategy come out. Um, and, and the ability to, to do our part within integrated deterrence to make our potential strategic competitors not want to get in the ring with us, right? Really, that's the whole point of it. Um, I think SW will have a lot to play in that when you think about what we do with other countries, uh, you know, left of bang or in gray zone ops, if you want to use that term, Right, how we're doing uh, train and assist with other countries and making sure interoperability is there uh, in other government organizations and the ability to work with those um, those organizations to get after a, an end state for a combatant commander. Uh, so let's just say that you're the UCOM commander and you're kind of worried about what's going on in Ukraine right now. I don't know why you would be. Uh, <laughs> what tools do I have besides the 82nd Airborne Division? Right. So I've got the big hammer uh, that's the 82nd Airborne and I've got an infantry division over there and I've got a couple of fighter wings that are over there. Those are big hammers. Right. What tools do I have besides those big hammers over there that I can be using with some of those other nation states that are going to be in this game with me to create an integrated deterrent so that Russia doesn't want to get in the ring with Ukraine? Um, I think that's where your teams are going to be very successful in the future. Uh, and then there, I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff that we can't talk about here in the skiff that is the ones ready podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, know, we're not trying to get, we're not trying to get shut down yet, chief. Right, right. <laughs> not yet. Maybe tomorrow, not today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I think the analogy that I would, or, you know, the, the, the phrase that I would use is, you know, adapt or perish, right? Uh, at the end of the day, uh, we all have to adapt or perish. Yeah, and that's what General Clark kind of got to whenever 
um, he was on the the SOCOM's official podcast, and he was talking about uh, not SOCOM as a as a whole, whether it's Air Force Special Warfare SEALs or whatever, need to ensure that during these J sets um, and outside of the J sets that. SOCOM and the U.S. DOD is the partner of choice, um, and and that's important because that that ties into that integrated terms. And I'm I'm glad you highlighted that that's going to be in the the national strength strategy and stuff like that because um, these are these are terms. And though you know we're we're wordsmithing stuff, if you actually sit back and you kind of take a look at it, it makes sense because the U.S. cannot possibly do everything on its own. Um, like we we know that, but we need other partners in other regions to be able to join forces, integrate together, be interoperable, and execute whatever mission, whether it's left to bang, right or bang, um, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, nor nor do we want to do everything by ourselves. No. Right. And and so we actually want to get to the point where we're always in an assist role. Uh, or always in a team role as opposed to always being in a lead role as well. Um, but you're right. The JSET, so you brought up JSETs, which are a great point. And for, for your viewers that are not familiar, JSET uh, stands for Joint and Combined Exchange and Training, right? So that's where we, uh, the United States, specifically the United States Air Force, uh, in this case, would go to another country. That's the combined part with another uh, uh, DOD partner like the Army or the Marines or something like that. That's the joint part and then do exchange and training with them. So joint combined exchange and training. Um, I can think of, of multiple times in the in uh, the South Pacific region where we would go to a country, you know, make one up, we'll make one up, we'll call it Thailand for lack of a better word. Um, oh, that's that's actually a country? Okay, we're not gonna call it Thailand, sorry. Uh, <laughs> country X. Right, so we would go to country X and do a J-set with them for two weeks uh, and, and do great training with them, phenomenal training with them. And we would roll out and that unit would stay right there because China was coming in and spending two weeks with them right after we left. Right. And so we need to understand that we, just like you said, we have got to make our training. We've got to make our partnerships. We've got to make the, the stuff that we do that we invest in those other countries, the, the country of choice, the partner of choice uh, so that that integrated deterrence works. Yeah, Chief. And, and, and if you don't mind, I, I wanted to go back to the, the flexibility piece just a little bit, because as I think about this and we go through AATC, as we move forward into the future and we try to uh, figure out what the right training looks like, and you talked about this a little bit, I think, um, and, and we have to uh, you know embed that flexibility to, to train our people in the technological environment to keep up with the, the pace of everything that's happening, right, within AATC. And so I think there's, there's two pieces. There's the, the technology piece. Um, or maybe three pieces, the way we teach it. And then also, you know, I sit up here at headquarters when I go talk to the, my SR NCOs and the, in the field training people, how do I ensure that they are given the tools or, or what should I be telling them to, uh, keep them flexible, keep them motivated, uh, to, to keep their eye on the prize and, and really to teach the way that they, you know, to the most effective way that they know how, uh, to keep these people prepared moving forward. That makes sense at all. I, I think so. So I'm going to try to answer it, and you come back and tell me if I if I didn't get the answer right. Um, so you you all may be familiar with Pilot Training Next or PTN. Um, for your viewers that are not, about three four years ago, uh, Air Education and Training Command kind of created a a red cell, so to speak, 
um, to look at how we could possibly do pilot training different than the way we've been doing it for about the last 20 years. Um, and they came up with some pretty divergent uh, ideas, uh, some pretty radical things that kind of evolved into what we're doing right now, which is UPT 2.5. Uh, um, I will tell you one of the most important tenets that we found out of that was instructor development. Um, so we could have all this great technology and we could have nine different modalities of course content that we were delivering and we could unlock it and we could do all these things. But if we didn't take time investing in the, in the instructors about adult learning theory, coaching, coach teach mentoring practices, um, you know, really in prepping the instructors to be ready to teach a different student in a different way um, and recognize that even though it didn't look like progress from the normal eye, it was still progress going down the direction that we wanted, then none of the rest of it mattered, right? So, it, it you know, I, I think the answer to your question has to be that that while we, we encourage the instructors, we have to go down there and invest in the instructors with good instructor development. Uh, and that requires continuous development. That's not a one and done. Uh, that's a, Hey, this is how we're going to teach. These are the, these are the tools we want you to teach with. This is coach teach mentor, as opposed to, I'm just going to beat you over the head with a stick until you do exactly what I tell you to do. Right. And then I reinforce those as those go with continuing education type, uh, opportunities and events, uh, to always either re reinforce the, the patterns and the behavior that we want or to bring new stuff online. Right. Well, I, I think I bring it up, Chief, because I'm a little biased. I've spent a lot of time in ATC and with that, there's a, a reputation out there or, or an idea that things are very rigid, right? We have lesson plans that we teach and it has to be done a certain way. Uh, but I think as leadership moving forward, uh, maybe being more flexible as leadership and not hammering our, as if I'm an instructor supervisor, not going down there and being like, why are you teaching it this way out of order or telling the story at this point if it's not in the lesson plan and looking at the results and, and, and investing, like you said, in the people. I'm a very individualistic person. I think the individual is almost always the, uh, the, the answer. Um, investing in the people so that we can uh, enable them to train the next generation the right way. I think that's, I think you answered the question actually that I tried to ask uh, better than I, better than I asked it. No, I, I think uh, there, it was a good question. I think the only thing I would add to what you just said is that at the end of the day, um, I, I am doing this on a scale. When I say I, I mean ATC, we are doing this on a scale um, of about 250,000 courses a year across the Air Force Enterprise. And so what I can't do is, you know, what we can't do is have 250,000 handmade wooden shoes. Um, we, it, you know, we, it, it's, we, we can't, we can't do 250,000 whoppers, 250,000 different ways. There, there has to be a little bit of standardization um, that, that applies across the enterprise. I, I think you are correct though, that we do have to give instructors some flexibility at the tactical edge to be innovative and be creative and kind of break norms um, and, and if there's a better way to do it, go find a better way to do it. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're going to have to find a better way to do a lot of things because, um, as you know, probably better than the rest of us, we are in a continuously, you know, resource declining, like it hasn't stopped. We're not, we're not at the bottom floor yet, but we are in a continuously declining resource environment, um, and we don't know where that bottom's going to be, which means that we need to optimize what we're doing with funding. Um, you know, a lot of cost analysis, a lot of unfortunate cuts. You know, a lot of people don't like cuts, but you know, um, 
the CSAF said, like, we are going to have to have a very uncomfortable conversation with cuts. Um, so, man, we haven't, we haven't really had to do that in the last 20 years of GWAT or, or COIN or anything like that. And so, and, and you brought it up, you know, the majority of us, I, I think, Trent, I don't remember when you came in, but I, I know me and Chief Thompson are, are definitely pre-9-11. And like, we, we, you're a post. Okay. So we saw the ramp up of funding. Money was no issue because the mission had to get done. Now that all that's over, it's definitely like, okay, we've got to throttle back. You know, SOCOM's going to be feeling it. Every every service in the DOD is going to be feeling it. So um, I'm kind of making a statement, but at the same time, I, what I don't want to do is put you on a spot and go, hey, where are the cuts being made? But where, in your opinion, where are some areas that we can start making cuts and i to, to me just thinking about what we talked about with you know uh web 3.0 kind of doing more of a, a mixed reality augmented reality virtual reality type of training um i think that there's some goodness in that and we can those are some of the areas that we can make cuts but i'm, I'm interested to see what your thoughts are on it yeah um well we're cutting your position number one just so you know. i know that <laughs> Um, I told you I was trying to get fired on this. I'm I'm still trying. <laughs> I, so I agree with you 100%, right? So, you know, how many knives and watches have you guys gotten over the years, right? I mean, I remember if you go back to like 2007, you know, 2008 to kind of the height of the, the GWAT, right? When it was game on. Um, I, I remember going to the dining facility at home station and everybody's rocking a, you know, a big watch uh, and they've got two bench maids, you know, somewhere <laughs> Um, Oakley's on there, you know, I mean, you know, it was, it was crazy. GWAP money was out of control. Um, that has obviously dried up over the last couple of years. Um, it's actually been going on for a couple of years that it's dried up. Um, we're starting to really feel it now. Uh, I, I, I think, um, the force is actually starting to see it now, even though it started happening a couple of years ago. Um, I will tell you where we have already been forced to take some cuts, um, is in infrastructure. Um, in weapon system sustainment, uh, we've already been forced to do some of those things. Um, we, we um, like everybody else, we get a fixed amount of money from Congress. Uh, we have a bunch of must-pay bills. Uh, and when I say must-pay, these are things that we have already committed to buying or we have already started a multi-year buy of them. And so we don't really have flexibility about, so it's, these are the, the, the two cars that we bought. Uh, that we still have payments on, right? And the house that we still have a mortgage on, right? So we still have to pay those bills. Those are must pays. We don't have a choice. Um, and then we have to pay our personnel costs, right? And so our personnel costs are, are absolutely a must pay bill. Um, the amount of money that the half then has to work with is significantly reduced from our overall budget. Um, I'd quote numbers, but they'd be wrong. Um, we wouldn't I, hold you to them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think that becomes the real art is that where do we take, you know, where, where do we, and, and I certainly don't mean any of us, these are senior, senior leaders in our Air Force um, that are working very hard to try to figure out where to take risk uh, in there. So what, what does that mean to really your viewers and folks on the line? Uh, it means that number one, the days of watches and benchmates for everybody every year are gone, right? Um, the days of end of year craziness, uh, are probably over as well. Uh, and so for those of you that are not tracking, you know, there, there's been times in our history where at the end of the year, there's all this fallout money where magically all these new toys show up because we had to spend money at the last minute. 
Um, I think those days are gone. I think um, the expectation that personnel programs that exist in the current iteration will continue, uh, I think that's a bad assumption to make, right? So um, I'm not saying that TA is not going to stay at 100%, but I'm not sure we can afford for it to stay at 100%, right? Like much of the rest of our personnel programs, I'm not sure all of those can stay at the funding level that they're at. Right now, they're pretty good programs. If you look at them, Air Force Cool is an incredible program. We put a lot of money into Air Force Cool every year. TA is an incredible program. We put a lot of money into TA every year. Um, and so I, I just don't know how those can, can stay at the levels of funding that they're at while we're still trying to modernize, while I still, you know, as AETC need to build training dorms, right? I, you know, we are, as an Air Force, have a foundational responsibility to our airmen. And that includes things like quality places for them to live and train and work at. Uh, we need training dorms. We need good, new, updated, at least fixed training dorms across our enterprise. Uh, and then we still have to look at the permanent party dorm problem, right? And we have to look at the housing problem and how do we get after some of those issues. So there's no shortage of bills that we need to pay uh, where our senior leaders are going to have to balance is what are we not going to do to pay for the things that we have to do in order to be ready for the next fight. Right. And that goes to those uncomfortable cuts. Like we, we, and this is me talking, this is not any organization talking, but like, I think that we've got to take some serious, like, you know, throwing out tuitions assistance, for example, don't quote me on it, anybody, but I, I want to say it was one. The Air Force spends one point nine billion on it a year, or something like that. It's it's insane. Um, which hey, we want to promote education and stuff like that, but again, maybe it doesn't need to be one hundred percent. Maybe it needs to be seventy five percent. Same with bracking some bases. Maybe that needs to happen as well um, because we have a lot of people out. I mean, infrastructure is expensive, but again, that's just me speaking out loud. Not not any uh, any senior leader or anything like that. <laughs> no, I closed down and I'm I'm live tweeting them right now. Yeah. Uh, well, space. you know you know how it is, Chief. When you're when you're at your position, uh, you say something or you make a misstep, uh, you definitely get held to it and held accountable for it. And you're like, hey, I'm just I'm just talking out loud right now. Right. <laughs> Well, the, you know, I will tell you. Here's the other part. Here's the beauty of my position is that my next job is is Mister. Right. And so there is a certain amount of, you know, <laughs> I'm not super concerned at this point about, you know, let's say the right thing. If we get the number close, then we're close. Right. But let's let's not get super round, wrapped around the axle. Um, I, I think what's, you know, what I would want your viewers to take away is that we know that we owe some foundational responsibilities to our airmen across the force. Right. So that's where they live, where they work, how they train, what they're equipped with, right? That's, those are parts of the things uh, that make our Air Force the, the best Air Force that the world has ever seen. So we have to figure out how to continue to do those things with the constrained financial situation that we have. Well, I think with a, it's never been more important to be very mission-focused and, and dialing that in so that you can articulate your requirements uh, better than you have in the past. Uh, that that you know, relate directly to that. Uh, one more thing, Chief, I, I just wanted to, to go over something real quick, um, you know, get a little mentorship for me. Uh, I, I tend to view like commanders as they have command intent, right? We have all that other stuff, but the, the NCO core, the chiefs, the, the senior NCOs, uh, to me, that's more of a, y'all put out the, the mindset and culture intent, 
for, for all the enlisted forces. Um, so as a, as a chief, like how would you go about at a unit or giving advice to your, your NCOs or senior NCOs out there uh, to maximize their influence um, at their units or wherever they're sitting? Yeah, that's an interesting choice of words. I don't know that I've ever heard the words culture and intent uh, before, but I like it. Um, so first, uh, let me tell you that I, I'm never going to let commanders off on, on they're responsible for culture too, right? Um, they're, they're 100%. So I, I've had the good fortune that I've been a, a, an SEL, a squadron superintendent, op superintendent, uh, in one form or another for about the last... 2008, 14 years, right? Somewhere around there. I've been, I've been in roles where I've been fortunate enough to be teamed up with commanders at the, at the squadron group wing, NAF, and now MAGCOM level. Um, I think, um, I think commanders and senior enlisted absolutely own culture 100%. Like we know what right looks like. I think we bring a unique perspective to our officer leaders because we've been in every single spot that our airmen have been in. We've lived all of those lives that the airmen in our squadron have been in, that the airmen in our wing have been in. And we have the ability to have that voice with our commander about what their commander's intent, uh, what effect that is going to have on those airmen at that level. Um, I think that becomes important, right? I think that perspective, that context for our leaders uh, becomes very important. Um, it's also incumbent on us as senior enlisted leaders to take commander's intent and figure out a way to execute it at the tactical level. Because we're the experts, because we have done all of the things uh, that our squadron does, regardless of what your unit is, when our commander says, this is what our unit is going to do, we are the experts in the room at how that works at the tactical level. Right. We know how to do the training. We know how to do the organization. We know how to get after it. And we know what the culture should look like. Um, so I think we need to fall into that role very, very willingly. We need to be excited about the ability uh, to do that. I think um, the what was the phrase that I've heard it called before? A good senior enlisted leader. Um, hold on. It was a, it was a, a threes. Translator, communicator and thermometer. Right. Um, so translator, the way that you're going to explain commander's intent to the senior NCOs in the unit may be different than the way you're going to explain commander's intent to the NCOs in the unit. And it's certainly going to be different than the way you're going to explain commander's intent to the airmen in the unit, right? The junior enlisted tier in the unit. Um, communicator, right? You got the hymns, you know, which songs you're supposed to be singing them. You should be singing them, right? You should be singing them loud and proud and you should be helping other people sing them as well. Know your boss's message and get your message out there repeatedly. Uh, and then really, really importantly, thermometer, right? That's the reporting back up to the commander, to the leadership levels that, hey, this is the temperature of the force. This is, you know, we can keep doing 12s. We're good on 12s right now. It's the mission. But remember, we can't surge forever, right? There, there has to be a recovery post-surge at some point, and we got to start planning for that. Uh, I haven't uh, I haven't heard that before, but I, I like that. I especially like the uh, the thermometer part because I think um, a lot of times you get like that gets lost or that never that feedback never makes it up to the top. And I think that that's important. I like that. But um, chief, as we kind of close this out, we 
we generally do this, and I believe you guys did it last time, but um, I want to give you another opportunity. I don't, I don't want to cage it all. So you know our demographic. What would be some advice that you would give the folks um, coming in, whether it's special warfare or whether it's just airmen in general? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, as I look back on what airman, what advice Airman Thompson needed, right? Um, Air, airman Thompson probably needed or, or, or did need um, to understand that the Air Force was all in on him, even though he was not all in on the Air Force yet. I may not have seen it at the time. I may not have understood it at the time. Um, and, and, and the Air Force certainly didn't show it to me every day. They didn't feel a requirement to run around behind me and pat me on the back and go, we love you. We're taking care of you. But the Air Force was all in on me long before I was all in on the Air Force. Um, we make a commitment to 35,000 young men and women a year that go through our basic military training program and then, and then initial skills training in, in whatever career field they're going to and then do a unit. Um, we're going to clothe you, house you, feed you, train you, develop you, grow you, mature you, and then give you the opportunity to go do cool stuff, right? It may not always be fun, and it may not always be the stuff you want to do, but it's, it's good stuff. Um, I, I probably needed that type of, of hard feedback as an airman because I just didn't understand that yet. I didn't see that yet. I thought I was just, you know, grist for the mill, so to speak. Um, the reality is that the Air Force cares deeply about every single one of our airmen. They're incredibly important to us, and we invest a lot of money in them every single year and a lot of time and care into them. Um, number two, I guess I would, I would tell your demographic um, and anybody watching, understand what you want out of the long game. If this is a four-year gig for you or a six-year gig for you, that's awesome. We need airmen to do this for four or six years and then go do other things somewhere else. Serve with honor and distinction for the four or six years that you're going to be an airman and get the most that you can out of it. Get every bit of TA that you can out of it. Get your GI Bill out of it. Get every bit of credentialing through Air Force Cool that you can get out of it. Do as many deployments and as TDYs and, and experience as you can out of it and be a better person than you were when you joined our Air Force, right? And then when you leave us, please say nice things about us um, so that other people will join our Air Force. Um, and then the last thing I'd say about this is, you know, if you're going to commit your life to doing something like this, if you're going to commit your life to service, man, don't half-ass it, like do it, do it all the way. If you're going to make a commitment, make a commitment. And it's, it's pretty awesome. I really need a, uh, a little sound thing to do like a mic drop. We got to add that in there, Trent. I'm all fired up now. Okay. <laughs> Now, I, I like what you said about the, the four and six year enlisted, even if it's a 10 year, like you're not, what I, what I always hated was the, the kind of people that felt like they were giving up, you know, and, and I, and I'm talking about people that were in it for the life, looking at four year, six year, 10 year people where they were bouncing and going like, well, you know, why would you give this up? I can't believe you, you know, you're, you're abandoning us, which is not the case. Like not, it's not for everybody. Plus a lot of those people that leave, leave the surface at four years, six years, 10 years, they go off and they've, they've one, we've given them skills, right? Life skills in a, in a trade, but also some of them have been able to identify uh, deficiencies and problems with processes and stuff like that, or, or a, a need in the Air Force or in the DOD, and then they're able to go out, be an entrepreneur, 
build that thing or that widget and then provide it to the Air Force. And it and it helps out all of our lives, like as an example. So I, I appreciate that. And Chief, definitely appreciate your time. Appreciate you joining us again. Um, it's, it's always a good time. But like I said, I missed the last one, but I definitely listened to it and I really appreciate it. And um, again, thanks for joining us. And everybody's tuning in. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, hit us in the DMs. See you guys later. Thanks, Chief. Later. Thanks, guys.